it's been really amazing over the last few weeks just seeing you engage and getting part of the process and seeing the number of people that are joining groups. It really just warms my heart. Uh, as a pastor, my, my deepest desire is to see you grow spiritually. Uh, my greatest joy in life is actually to see you find your greatest joy in life. <laughs> and so seeing people getting connected, plugging in, finding ways that they can use their gifts and talents for the glory of God is literally what I live for. So it's incredibly exciting and humbling just to see so many get engaged with this. So if you've not signed up yet, still time to do so. Strongly encourage you to do that. Uh, as we conclude our two-week series today called Stop Going to Church, I want to ask you, have you ever had a situation in your life where you just really felt awkwardly out of place? <laughs> that ever happened to you where it's like you're just in some kind of situation, you feel awkwardly out of place, and, and so much so that this is actually quite uh, debilitating. Like you literally don't know what to do next. Maybe there was some kind of crisis in your family or some kind of a crisis of faith or, or some financial struggles or some health struggles and you're literally spinning with no clue what to do next. I remember when that probably hit me the most in my life. It's when I actually made the transition from high school to college. You see, in high school, I was a little bit of a nerd. You guys don't think that's funny, so you're like, yes, we agree. <laughs> we agree. We affirm that, Kevin, in Jesus' name. That has been affirmed. You're a nerd. Yeah. And I was good in math. <laughs> really good in math. In fact, I was so good in math, I didn't have to really work at it. The numbers just came to me. The formulas just came to me. I didn't have to study. I didn't have to do any homework. Kids don't follow my example, okay? That was just one of my gifts, one of my talents, and I was just really good at it. So because I was good at math, all the guidance counselors, all the people in my life is like, you need to be an engineer. You need to be an engineer. You got to get the little ring and you got to be an engineer. So you're going to go into science. So I made the switch from high school, from being good at math to going into pure and applied sciences. And I got into this degree program in college, and I was drowning. Absolutely drowning. I, I, I literally was flunking every single class I was in. I couldn't manage the workload. I didn't know how to study. Uh, the labs and the level of math that we were doing, we were taking these graphs, and they're like these infinite graphs, and you have to imagine you were 3D rotating them around a certain axis. You had to calculate the volume. And I'm like, I'm just done. What, what is the point of this? Like, it's an infinite graph rotated three-dimensionally. The answer is infinite. And the answer is, no, the answer is two. And they give you a page. You got 17 blank pages to prove that the answer is two. <laughs> done. <laughs> Flunking out of everything, but out of my whole childhood, you're an engineer. You're an engineer. You're an engineer. And I'm like, I stink at this. And that's when anxiety started climbing, uh, creeping its way into my life. It's when I had my first full-blown panic attack at the age of 19, where I was in an emergency room convinced I was having a heart attack. They had me hooked up to MRI machines, and I'm like, oh my goodness, they're going to crack my rib cage open tonight. Figure out what's going wrong. Couldn't sleep, the anxiety, lost about 50 pounds. I didn't have 50 pounds to lose back then. I was literally a Q-tip, real skinny, big hair, great hair, <laughs> um, back in college. 
I had no clue what was going, and my life was spinning out of control because I couldn't actually see what I was really good at. I couldn't see where my talents really lie. I was kind of dependent on other people to dictate the direction of my life. And that's what I want us to talk about today as we conclude this series called Stop Going to Church. I want us to look at how we need to have eyes to see of what is really going on. Because I actually look back on those days in college, and I can actually see God working in a way um, when I didn't even believe in him. I didn't believe in God back in college. But I can look back on it now, and I can see exactly where God was working to prepare me exactly for what I'm doing right now. But back then, no clue this was happening. We started this series off last week, and we talked about, we looked at, um, at the psalm that we read earlier, and we saw how our um, greatest calling in life is not to go to church. Our greatest calling in life is not to just consume Christian products that church staff prepare for us. Jesus didn't die for you and I to simply go to church. Jesus died and was resurrected to bring us into the family of God so that we could be made right with a holy God and to help us get planted in the house of the Lord. And we saw last week that getting planted is more than just attending. It's allowing our spiritual roots to go deep into good soil, into good environments that allow us to grow spiritually. And when our spiritual roots go deep, you and I will bear much fruit. We'll see the fruit of the Spirit more evident in our lives. We'll see lives around us being transformed by allowing those spiritual roots to go deep. We saw last week that we don't go to church. We are the church. The church doesn't exist for me and to please me. We exist to be a blessing to this world. And so I want to continue this uh, theme of not just simply going to church, but allowing our roots to go deep. And I want to start with a very, very familiar verse. If you've been coming to church for any amount of time, you have heard this verse before. You've heard me preach on this verse before. It's Proverbs 29, verse 18. It's probably one of my favorite verses in the entire book of Proverbs. I say this verse all the time. I'm going to quote it from the King James Version this morning. We'll kick it old school. If the King James Version was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us today. Okay? This is Proverbs does bad joke. Sorry. Proverbs 29.18 says this, Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Where there is no vision, people perish. Now, for all the amazing good that the King James Version did for us in the Reformation and getting the Bible into the hands of people, it's an amazing history when you study the history of that translation. Um, sadly, the translation of this verse isn't great. Uh, it, it doesn't really help convey what the writer of Proverbs is trying to pass on to the people of God. Right? The word for vision is, that, that is used here is the Hebrew word chazon. Everyone say that with me. Chazon. 
No, you gotta roll it. It helps if you spit. Spit get a little bit of phlegm in, in your in your throat to, to pronounce the Hebrew. If you want, you can just say kazon. Say kazon. With some passion. Kazon! I feel like I should turn into a superhero when you say that word. Shazam! No, anyway, no, it's a different thing. But kazon, the kazon, the hazon here, it, it, it literally means godly prophetic revelation. Right? It, it's, it's this godly revelation uh, from God directly. It's this see, being able to see what God is doing among his people. And there's different ways throughout the history of the people of God that people have received revelation. One of the most important ways is the word of God. We receive revelation, prophetic insight from God through his word. We also see it through uh, the ancient days, the rising up of prophets and judges who would bring this prophetic wisdom, this prophetic revelation to the people of God. We see that this gift is still in place in the New Testament and in the church today where God raises up godly leaders. And it says, if your gift is to lead, lead with all diligence. Because there's the people are depending on you to bring godly vision, godly revelation, godly insight to the church. In fact, Scripture is quite harsh on the people who receive that gift because if you misuse it, because there's so many people looking to those leaders to hear from God, to get a glimpse of that revelation of God, misusing that gift comes with a harsh judgment because of the damage we can do with it. So this kazone is incredibly, incredibly important because when people can't see what God is doing, people perish. Like if you think of this from a perspective of people who don't believe in God, right, we believe that there is only one way to heaven, and it's through Jesus, fully man, fully God, that he lived a sinless life, that he died on the cross to pay for our sin, three days later rose from the dead over victory, uh, a victory over sin and death, and it's in his name that we are able to come to the throne of God. It's not many ways to God, it's one way to God. But if people around us, people who don't believe in this message, they can't see what God is doing, we sadly believe that their, their eternal destination is to perish, to be separated from the love of God forever. And that should stir us on as people who do believe this. That we don't want anyone to perish, because God himself doesn't want anyone to perish. But this verse isn't written to um, non-Christians. This verse is written to the people of God, to provide wisdom to the people of God. So what does that look like in us as a church today? What does it mean for us to perish? Because we know we have eternal security. We believe that once you're saved, once you've given your faith to Jesus Christ, uh, you can never lose that. Because there was nothing you could do to earn it. Nothing you could do to earn it. It's all a gift from God. Therefore, there's nothing you could do to lose it. If you could lose your salvation, you and I would have all lost it already. I would have probably lost it this morning. <laughs> it's the way sin works. Right? So what does this mean to perish as us, as Christians? 
Well, I think Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of the message, I think he really gets to the heart of what this looks like for us as Christians in the world today. He says this in this verse in Proverbs. He says, if people can't see what God is doing, again, if you can't see that revelation, if you can't see that chazon, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. You see, back when I was in college, I couldn't see what God was doing in my life. And I was stumbling all over the place. How do I pass this course? How do I pass that course? How do I get out of this exam? How do I drop this course? It was just like, it was a mad dash of just literally trying to survive. And I think, sadly, in our North American, Western Christianity, we can easily take our eyes off of what God reveals and make church about what we prefer. And when we do that, the church starts to stumble all over herself. Of trying to please these people, of trying to make this person happy, of trying to appease this special group of people, of trying to do this. And we get so exhausted in it because we've taken our eyes off what God is doing. And if we as Christians would spend more time being focused on what God is revealing to us, this verse says that you and I will be more blessed. In fact, that's the fundamental teachings of Jesus, where Jesus said, if you were to, when he's talking to people who are worried about their food, worried about what they're going to wear, worried about what they're going to do the next day, Jesus says, stop all this worrying. If you were to seek first God's kingdom, then everything else will be taken care of. What God has revealed, we pursue that, and you and I will be most blessed. So the big idea that I want us to unpack a little bit today is this, is when we do what God reveals, we will be more blessed. When we do what God reveals, we'll be more blessed. It's not enough to just simply hear or notice what God is doing. God has called you and I to be an active participant in what God is doing. And when we seek first his kingdom will be blessed. So today what I want to do is something a little bit different than what we normally do. I'm not going to do a sermon. You're going, it sure sounds like one. Um, but I don't want to do, I'm not going to take a text and, and, up, and, and go through the text. What I want to do this morning is more of a ministry update. I want to give you the vision that we are working towards as a church. I want you to be able to see what God is doing here in our church family. And my hope is when you see this, when you hear this revelation, when you get a picture of what God is doing, you can see your place in this work that God is doing. Because our desire as elders, our desire as the staff, our desire as leaders is to see you more blessed. And we firmly believe you will be more blessed when you are focused on what God reveals and you engage with that. 
And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to break this down kind of in three ways. The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about our mission as a church. I'm going to talk about our vision as a church. And then I'm going to talk about how we are going about living this out and where we are going. I would encourage everyone, this is one of these terms, you definitely want to grab a piece of paper, you definitely want to grab the pen around you, because this should generate conversation in your life groups and in your families, and hopefully generate a little bit of excitement in your heart when you really see what God is doing. So the first thing I want to talk about is the mission. Here at Greenbelt, we've got this mission statement. You can see it all over the place. You can see it on our signage, on our website, and things like that. And the mission is this. Leading people in knowing, living, and sharing Jesus. Leading people in knowing, living, and sharing Jesus. Now, what's interesting about these mission statements is you and I have to have an understanding that the church doesn't have a mission. Every single local church in the world does not have a mission. God has a mission, and he is accomplishing his mission through the local church. Let me say that again. We don't have a mission. God has a mission, and he is accomplishing his mission through the local church. And Jesus clearly spelled out for us what our mission is. What is the mission of God in the world? Well, it's the, the text that's known as the Great Commission, where Jesus says to his followers, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age." That is God's mission in the world. That because God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And then we are equipped and built up and sent to go. Great translation of this text in the Great Commission is, as you go, make disciples. This isn't a text just for missionaries. This is a text for every Christian. As we go about our lives, we are on the mission of God to make disciples. So we articulate this, instead of on all of our brochures and coffee mugs and t-shirts of having to put the whole text, we summarize it in this statement. Leading people in knowing, living, and sharing Jesus. How every local church lives out the Great Commission will look differently based on the people there, the leadership there, the structure there, maybe what denomination they're a part of, but ultimately it's the same mission, to make disciples of all the nations. Now, it's interesting, over the last eight years that I've been here, you will have seen this mission statement has changed. We've been tweaking it and working on it, and I just want to explain to you just for a couple of minutes why. Most people go, well, who cares? It's just words on a coffee mug, right? It's just words on a wall or a website. It doesn't matter. It doesn't really impact what we do. Well, I want you to see that it greatly impacts what we do. When I first started here eight years ago, the mission statement said, know, live, and share your faith. It was a great mission statement simplifying our ministry, helping us to get focused. Know, live, and share your faith. You and I today live in a culture that doesn't have any problem with faith, whether you want to believe in Allah, whether you want to believe in Buddha, 
whether you want to find your salvation in Tom Cruise, whatever it is, you can have whatever kind of faith you want in Canadian culture today. As long as it works for you and you don't bother anybody else. So that kind of was that first thing that kind of started stirring in our hearts as leaders. It's like we don't want to be known as the church that any faith is great. So we made one tiny little change to the mission. We changed it to know, live, and share. Jesus, to stand us out from any other faith. Because we firmly believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That nobody comes to the Father except through him. And that was important on that simple statement that everything that we're doing is pointing people not to faith, but pointing people to the living Jesus who is resurrected, who is beside God the Father, interceding on behalf of the church. We want to really focus on the name of Jesus. And then as we kind of been working on this a little bit more, then we saw, well, people kind of start looking at this statement, well, yeah, yeah, I know Jesus. Or yeah, yeah, I'm living for Jesus. Or yeah, yeah, I shared Jesus once in the last 20 years. And kind of getting this sense that I'm done. I've made it. I, I, I've done the checkbox on all three things. Yeah, I know who Jesus is. I live for Jesus. I shared Jesus. So we changed the, 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 the grammar to knowing, living, sharing. This is this idea that you and I are on a journey. You and I have not arrived yet. There are things that I'm still learning and knowing about Jesus that blow my mind every day when I learn them. It's a continual process of knowing. I actually today believe in stuff that I didn't believe 20 years ago when I was new in my faith. There are certain things about our faith that we have to kind of hold like this. Any of you changed your mind? on some theological positions, raise your hand. You've changed your mind. Oh, that's spiritual growth. That's a good thing. And guess what? You might go back to what you believed before. On secondary issues, that's okay. But we wrestle through this. We work through this, right? So it's, it's a process. Living Jesus. It's a daily challenge. Right? How are we pursuing holiness? You know, it's not a one-off thing. It's especially not just a Sunday morning thing where I look incredibly Christian on Sunday, but the rest of the week, no one would have any clue that I'm a follower of Jesus. So this living changes. We, we, we develop. It's the Bible, the, the theological term for this is sanctification. Big fancy word to say you are becoming more like Jesus. It's changing how you live. And same thing with sharing. It, it's a process. How... You know, you learn how to share your faith differently. You learn how to, you know, clearly share the gospel. You start being discerning on where are people open to hear about Jesus and where are they not. And, and it's a process that we learn and we develop. Not just something for those with the gift of evangelism to do. It's a call on all of us to be witnesses. The role of the evangelist is to help you be more evangelistic. And teach you how to do that. So it's this process of growing. And then the last change that we made was just this past year, where we added the simple word in front of it, the two simple words, leading people. Leading people. 
This was added because we firmly believe as our church continues to grow, as people continue to come, as we're having a bigger impact in our city, we have to become more and more intentional in how we go about doing this. We can't just assume it's happening. You know, when, when, when churches are smaller and everybody knows everybody and the pastor knows everybody and the pastor has coffee with everybody, I heard this one rumor that years ago the pastor of Greenbelt used to visit every family on Christmas morning. <laughs> Any of you remember that? I don't know if this is true. This is a rumor I've heard. Was that true? That's psychotic. <laughs> My kids would have killed me. I gotta go, kids. I know you got new Lego. You want daddy? You want, you want daddy to build your new Batman plane? But uh, I gotta go visit all the families today. That would take three days. That would take me Christmas Day, Boxing Day, and the day afterwards, like to visit all of you on Christmas Day, right? So, but so and we just can't assume it happens. We have to intentionally focus on it. I heard this great analogy for how this works is. When you think of school, for example, when I was in, again, when I made that transition from high school to college, the only change I made to the way I was studying in high school when I was getting good grades when I went into college was just continue to do it exactly the same way, but just do it harder. Just put more hours into it. You know, stay up later. Just continue the exact same methods I was using, but do more hours and, and, and more study. Work harder, work harder, work harder. Well, what happens is when you work that way in whether it's church, school, your business, your family, the way it works actually is in an organization, it actually stops working. You can work a certain way to help you get to a certain size, and just doing more hours, actually you're working harder, you're hating it more, you're more stressed out, and you're seeing less results. The way it just naturally worked, and that's what happened to me in college. I was working harder, I was more stressed, I was hating every second of it, and I was flunking out of everything. What I had to learn in college was a new way to study. I have to completely change how I study in order to get to the next level. And it's the same thing in the church. What got us to this size won't help us to reach the next generation, won't help us to reach more people for Jesus. We have to be adaptable. So this leading people was to put this intentionality in everything that we do. We're not just going to sit around and hope it happens. Right? Because when you do, when we do what God reveals, we will be blessed. And we believe that this God has revealed to us, this is the mission. So my hope so far is you can already start to see yourself in this mission. What does this look like for you? Right? Can you see yourself where you fit in with the mission that God has here at Greenbelt? Right? What do you need to be doing to help you in knowing Jesus more? Maybe it is. It's like, you know, I have never done a life group. I've been coming to the church for eight years. Every Sunday I hear Pastor Kevin talking about a life group, and I put my feet in the ground. I'm not doing it. Gosh darn it, you can't make me. Okay? My French-Canadian, Roman Catholic background guilt comes out occasionally, and I say, just try it. Give it six weeks. Give it eight weeks. Give it a shot. <laughs> what if you have to lose? <laughs> Try knowing Jesus more through that. Maybe for some of you, it's how do you help other people knowing Jesus? <laughs> like, oh, I don't have time to be a leader. I don't have time to step up. Uh, I want just church to be comfortable. Maybe it's time for you to step up. <laughs> Disciple people. 
lead groups, join Fusion, helping Kids Zone, whatever that is, disciple someone else so that they can get to know Jesus better. What about how do you need uh, how do you need to be led in living for Jesus more? Right? Maybe it's to take our eyes off of ourselves and find places we can use our gifts and our talents to serve other people. <laughs> you know, Jesus said that you'd be more blessed when you give than when you receive. And if God has blessed you with gifts and talents and abilities, you're actually more blessed when you give those gifts and talents and abilities away. <laughs> Maybe that will help you. Right? What about helping you lead and sharing and, and learning how to share Jesus better? One of the things that we've been doing, and we're, we're literally just experimenting with this, is the whole online community that's possible you know, through social media and through tools like Church Online. If you are scared to share your faith with people face-to-face, online ministry is incredible. Every Monday afternoon at 12.30, I personally get to lead people to Jesus all around the world. I can, te- I can share them my testimony very quickly, and you just type it. It's not a video, it's just a type. We already have people that are watching this live stream at Greenbelt all around the world. A couple of weeks ago, we hit 4,000 people watched our service. Wow. Like, just get your brain around that for two seconds. 4,000? That's, that's crazy. We're not, we're not a mega church. <laughs> we can't do that. Change our thinking. <laughs> we're not a mega church, but we have a mega mission. <laughs> we're not a mega church, but we have a mega mission in leading people, in knowing, living, and sharing Jesus. What's your part in that? Because when we do what God has revealed, you will be blessed. Second thing I want us to talk about is vision. What is a vision? Right? The difference between a vision and a mission. Right? A mission never changes. The mission of the church The label might change, but the mission never changes. The mission of the church is not our mission. It's God's mission. It's the Great Commission. We live that out. But vision changes based on culture, based on the leaders that God raises up in a church family, based on different situations that can be occurring. And we've gone on a journey as elders uh, for about three years, praying and working on this and and starting over, and, and then agreeing on something, and then coming back to the next meeting saying, yeah, no, I prayed, I think we got that wrong, we got to start over. It was an amazing journey of um, sleepless nights, and seeking God, and diving into scripture, and I so appreciate the men who helped with that process. And then we brought in other leaders at the church to speak into it. We brought in men and women to help us get some clarity on it. We even at one point said we were starting to get so lost in it, we even brought a consultant to come in to help just organize us. It was like herding cats and helping to get us all kind of streamlined. And it was just an amazing process over three years to hear from God. God, what do you have? What is your vision for this church family? Reveal it to us because we want to be blessed. We want to be a blessing. So the vision that we felt that came from God through that process was this, right? to be a vibrant, growing Christian community engaged in reaching 10,000 people with the gospel. To be a vibrant, growing Christian community engaged in reaching 10,000 people with the gospel. 
just want to spend a few minutes breaking this down because I want you to, again, to see your part in it. I want you to see how this isn't just some mission statement that we've written on the wall back there. Maybe you've walked right past it. You didn't even notice we did it. It's on the wall, right? But what's written on the wall, actually, what we do down the hall trumps what's written on the wall. Stole that from Andy Stanway. Right? We don't want to be just a church that puts up these mission statements on the wall. We need to live them out down the hall. Right? So just want to unpack this a little bit. What does it mean to be a vibrant, growing Christian community? Again, it's not about becoming a megachurch. That has nothing to do with it. I, that is not my desire. My desire is to see us live out a mega mission, have a mega impact in our city. It's all about having this mega impact in people's lives. When people give their lives to Jesus, that's a mega miracle. And it's something that we rejoice in and celebrate, and we should lose our minds over it. And it's the most exciting thing that could ever happen. Right? What does it mean to be vibrant? Why do we use the word vibrant? Well, vibrant means to be pulsating with vigor and energy. Right? It's a faith in Jesus that's energetic, it's stimulating, it's lively. Think, of a, think for a moment of the people that you have learned from. Who are the people that you are attracted to? That the people that you want to follow? Is it the boring, crusty, complaining, whining people? Maybe you don't have those people in your life. Praise be to God. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> Yeah. If you're watching online, I love you. Um, it's easy to be discouraged by those people, right? So this vibrant faith, this is the faith that we read about in Scripture. This is the kind of faith that we read about in the New Testament. There's nothing about Paul's letters that are boring and crusty and crabby. They're, they're alive. They're energetic. He's, he, he, he teaches with passion. There's like a fire in his belly that he just, that just can't stop. Because of his desire to see the church live out what the church has been called to live. This vibrant faith. Right, what does it mean to be a growing Christian community? Well, growing means we never stop pursuing holiness. We've never arrived. On this side of heaven, we've never arrived. There's always something more to learn. There's always a way to grow. There's always a sin that we can get victory over. Right, so we want to be growing. We want to realize that. Let's not put on masks and pretend Let's be real before God and real before each other. Right? And community. We put community in there because community means we don't do our Christian journey alone. Right? The Bible clearly teaches that the church is a family. That we do life together. Even the most introverted person needs a few other people that they are close with. You'd be shocked to realize how incredibly introverted I am. People don't believe me when I tell them this because I can do this. This is easy for me. 10,000 people, this is easy. Small group is hard for me because I have to open up. I have to share. i got to share what I want, to, I want people praying about. And you know what? I do it because I know spiritually how desperate I am to have those relationships around me. We all need that community. Even the most introverted of us can still find that. So we want to focus on this community. Right? And we believe, and this is the work that we've been doing, and you don't hear about it often. That's why I wanted to share it today. Again, I want you to see what God is doing. Like we talked about last week, for roots to be healthy, 
They need to grow in healthy environments. So we as leaders, elders, deacons, staff, life group leaders, kids zone leaders, fusion leaders, we have been working really hard over the past three years to create healthy environments where this can happen, where your spiritual roots can go deep. Right? Creating environments that promote dynamic worship. You know, where you're truly worshiping in spirit and in truth. Because we believe God shows up in a supernatural way when we gather as his family more than the way he shows up when you're listening to worship CDs in your car. We pray about this. We work on it. We, we, we evaluate it because we truly want to create healthy environments so our spiritual roots can go deep as we go into worship. Like we've been really focusing on building, nurturing relationships. That's why we've completely restructured our, our life group ministry. So we can be very intentional. In the past, life group ministry has been, if you've been a life group leader, you know this. This has been your experience. And please forgive me for allowing this to happen on my watch. But what we've done is we've asked people to lead their group. And then we sent them off to lead their group. And we're like, okay, great. That's done. And then we'd have a little kickoff in September. And then, hey, let's get together and have a barbecue in August. And we were surprised that our burnout rate among life group leaders was so high. Because they felt alone and isolated. And no one walking with them. And no one praying for them. And no one guiding them. And that happened on my watch. And I'm sorry for that. So we've restructured this. So that leaders feel cared for. That they're mentored. That they're guided. Intentionally leading people in. Leading. So we want to build these nurturing relationships where they can happen. Right, we want to talk, we're working on ongoing discipleship. How do we, without trying to create a hundred different things that people have to go to, how can we intentionally, uh, purposefully create these environments that help people become de- devoted followers of Jesus, to become disciples of Jesus? And then the last thing that we're working on and, 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 and talking about is personal evangelism. How do we help you get better at this? <laughs> Whether it's through social media, whether it's through church online tools, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's one-on-one coffee. What does that look like for all of us to be vibrant, growing Christian communities that are engaged in reaching 10,000 people with the gospel? And people always come up to me and say, Pastor Kevin, why 10,000? Well, 10,000 is 1% of the population of Ottawa. And I actually have a vision and a dream that I feel God has given me to to work with other organizations, to partner with other churches, to work in our fellowship, to see a hundred vibrant churches in our city. And if we had a hundred vibrant, growing Christian churches in our community, each reaching 1% of the population of Ottawa, do the math. Everybody. Everybody. Everybody having an opportunity to engage with the message of Jesus. And then the final thing is the word engaged. Engaged is an intentional, committed process. Those of you who got married, when you got down, men, when you got down on one knee and you proposed and you put a ring on her finger, did you just stop pursuing at that moment? Oh, yeah, I got a ring on her finger now. See you at the wedding. Are we getting married in three years? See you in three years, baby. I've committed. I made a declaration. I'm engaged. Ew. It don't work that way, did it, boys? Why is my wife laughing the loudest? Yeah. I made you work. I worked hard. My wife trained me up well. 
Love you, babe. You should have been at the leader training yesterday if you think I'm going off script today. Yesterday was fun. Uh, anyways, um, no, engagement means you're part of the process. You're engaged. You're fully committed to this. You are engaged with making it happen. It's not something, oh, yeah, yeah, I checked the box. Well, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, no, no, you're part of the process. You are engaged with the vision, right? And so how? How do we want to do this? I just want to quickly share as I wrap up just some of the ways that we're doing this, again, to help you see how you could fit into this vision that God has given us, right? The first way that we're doing this is with intentional discipleship. Again, we want to be so much more intentional than what we've been doing. We've retweaked my role a little bit, so I'm spending the bulk of my time with elders, deacons, staff, key leaders, investing in them, mentoring them, guiding them, so that they in turn can mentor and care and disciple the people underneath them in their areas of ministry. So we want to be much more intentional in our discipleship, right, with our worship environments, our nurturing relationships through small groups, intentional leadership development. These are some of the things that we're really looking at and, and growing in and, and exploring and, and, and spending a lot of time working on. It's really exciting stuff. Some other things that we're working on, and some of these are further along than others, but we're looking at actually strengthening um, some strategic partnerships with different Christian organizations uh, in the city and across the country. Obviously, one of them is our fellowship, and we're looking at how we can be much more engaged in church planting uh, with our fellowship. Um, church planting here in Ottawa is very hard. It's very hard, and I think the model of sending out one couple with about 10, 15 people engaged, these churches only last about four or five years, and then they just burn out and fizzle out. How we do church planting, again, we could just work harder and be more stressed out and see more results, or we can completely change how we do church planting. And this is the kind of conversation we're, we're, we're having. And we're dreaming about what would it look like for you know churches like Greenbelt or maybe other churches to really start embracing a multi-site type of model of ministry where there's one leadership team, one budget, but the mission and the vision is being lived out in multiple locations. This is stuff that we're kicking the can around and praying about and looking you know to be more engaged with. Right, we're talking with different organizations and working with local chaplains and how we can be more engaged in the community. We've been talking a little bit with you know, military Christian fellowship and how we can be much more engaged in reaching military uh, families. Um, and, and that's just kind of just still starting and we're, we're going to get more work on that. But one of the ones I want to just share quickly is, is a lot of work that's been going into, if you're not aware of this, but we actually have an Arabic congregation that uses our building here uh, on Sunday afternoons and on Friday evenings to do Bible studies. Uh, this group of people, they, they are on fire for Jesus, and they are reaching people for Jesus that you and I could never reach because of some cultural differences. They had an outreach event here, I think it was about a year and a half ago, where they had, I hope the fire marshal's not listening, when they had over 500 people in the building hearing about Jesus and worshiping Jesus. It's just an amazing, amazing ministry. But what we are seeing happening in our fellowship is these churches... Uh, Ethnic-speaking churches, whether they're Arabic or Spanish or Chinese, the problem with these churches is they have a hard time gaining traction. One, they lose their kids. Because their kids don't consider themselves to be Arabic, Spanish, or Chinese. They're Canadian. And they don't want to go, they want to go to an English church with their English friends from school. So these churches are bleeding out with their kids. Their teens aren't getting engaged and, and into, the, into the church life. And they're amazing at reaching. When we look at this Arabic ministry that's happening, they're amazing 
at reaching the Syrian families that are coming in, but they're reaching people who are, how do you say about like dirt poor. <laughs> they're not kind of bringing in upper middle class white family tithers <laughs> who are going to donate 10% of their income and pay their pastor and fund the ministry. They're, they're reaching the least of these, the poor. So they can't pay for staff. They can't pay for their ministries because, and these churches end up having to close. So we are in just initial conversations of actually seeing that uh, ministry shut down as an independent ministry and become an extension of our church family. And that they would become part of Greenbelt and we would become part of them. So where we are really strong, we can come alongside them and help them and leader training and mentoring and all that. And where they're really strong with outreach and reaching the least of these, they can bring us along. And we're looking at really just creating this one family. We're looking at and dreaming and trying to figure out how we could do this, of even having two worship services happening at the same time, one in English, one in Arabic. And we dismiss the kids. All the kids go together to the same kids zone. All the kids go to the same fusion. This way they're not losing their kids. The kids are staying engaged in the life of the church. And we're just seeing people blessed. This is the kind of stuff that God is revealing to us. So we want to be more intentional in our discipleship. We want to be more intentional with our strategic partnerships. You know, with the church online stuff, like I shared, 4,000 people watching this. How do we actually engage with these 4,000 people? You know, if someone starts contacting us and texting us, how, do we, how are we engaging with them? Right now, it's me. And, and, and more people, I know you're tech savvy because I follow you on social media. You use it more than I do. It's not a ton of work. It's easy work. And I can show you how to do it, how we can be engaged with these people. And then the final thing that I firmly believe, how are we going to live out this vision? Yes, it's going to be through intentional discipleship. Yes, it's going to be through strategic partnership. But at the end of the day, it's going to be a whole lot of fun. We are doing the most important work on the planet. It should bring you great joy to be a part of the mission and vision of God. We don't serve in our areas of ministry out of guilt and obligation and shame and we're crabby that we have to do it. If you are serving in a ministry with that type of heart, I give you permission today to resign. Stop it. This should be fun. There should be laughter. There should be joy. That's the fruit of the spirit that we see growing. And like I said at the beginning of this message, when you... My, my greatest joy in ministry is helping you find your greatest joy in ministry. So I hope this ministry update has just painted for you a little glimpse of what God is doing, what God is revealing. We don't want you to simply go to Greenbelt. We want your roots to go deep. We want to see you planted here at Greenbelt. We want you to be engaged with the mission, to be engaged with the vision. Because I firmly believe with all of my heart, when we do what God reveals, we will be most blessed. Let's pray together. Father God, we praise you and we are so grateful that we can come to this place and, and even today, just get a little glimpse of what you are doing among us. Sometimes we can get so busy in doing ministry, we forget that you are ministering to us, God. So God, we thank you for the mission 
that we get to play, your mission in this city that we get to be a part of, is humbling and exciting, Lord. We thank you for the vision that you've put on our hearts as leaders, how you've called us to not simply go to church, but to live out this vision, to see more people know you, to, to engage the lost, to, to, to come alongside the brokenhearted. And Father, we pray that that would bring much vibrancy and spiritual growth in each of our lives. You know, maybe you're here today and you're watching this or you're watching this online and, and you're going, well, I'm, I, I, man, I hear the words, Pastor, but I just can't. There's so much going on in my life and, and you're just so busy and this just sounds like another thing. <laughs> I just want you to know that this wasn't meant to be a guilt trip. This was, again, meant to just be this little eye-opening glimpse. <laughs> you need to see what God is doing. <laughs> because God doesn't want you stumbling about your life doing all the wrong things. God wants you to be a part of his work. And that actually starts with living that surrendered life in Christ. It starts with just making that simple declaration that, you know what, I've got sin in my life, and I need to give that to Jesus. Because he died for those sins. And I can have victory over sin, not because I keep working and working and working harder and harder, but because I can surrender to him. So maybe you need to do that. Maybe that's your first step today, is just to surrender to Jesus, whether it's for the first time or whether it's to surrender some area of sin in your life. And then maybe for some of us, it's to just keep our eyes focused. We've been stumbling. We've been stumbling through life, focusing on the wrong things. Let's get our eyes focused on what God has revealed to us today and ask him, how can I be a part of that, God? How would you use me to have that kind of kingdom impact? so that I can be greatly blessed in serving you. As we continue to worship, we're going to pick up, our, we're going to take our tithe and our offerings. This is just part of our worship where we give back to God. If you're a guest with us today, please don't feel obligated to give unless God puts that on your heart to do so. Um, but I just pray as we continue to worship that God's Spirit would just continue to work in your heart, help you have those eyes to see what God has revealed today, and help each of us find our place in that.